G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Martin Isles, the National Director of the ACL, on the line with us today from Perth. Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day Neil, good to be back. Martin, you're in Perth today. It's a little bit like conference week for you, isn't it? Because on the weekend you had your Victorian State Conference for the Australian Christian Lobby and you've got a a WA State Conference coming up in the weekend ahead and you're even speaking at a conference today. Uh, Let's start with the one that happened on the weekend in Victoria. What sort of highlights can you identify? Oh, look, we had a a great conference on Saturday, so it was sold out uh, quite some time in advance. We had roughly 500 in the venue, and um, the theme was not ashamed. And uh, I think the highlight was for everybody to see that the Apostle Paul wrote that, that he was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God for salvation. He wrote that to a society that bore striking parallels to our own, and... uh, to see the fruit in his life of not being ashamed, being bold, speaking the truth as it is, and doing so for love of people who are really in the dark and and need salvation, but also witnessing to that truth through life, not just speaking the gospel, but living it, being salt and light in the world. To see the apostles do that, to see the early church do that in a society that was just so strikingly similar um, uh, was really encouraging, and to see that God uses that and will use it again, uses it in every generation. And, of course, we had Bindi Cole come and speak, and uh, she was sort of living testimony to that, because Bindi Cole is the woman who sued Andrew Bolt um, for racial vilification, uh, but then she was converted to Christ after that case back in 2009, and uh, she's reconciled with Andrew. She's been on his show. She's spoken about her faith, and she now speaks against victimhood and identity politics. And says my my spiritual conversion has brought about a political conversion, and it's been total. And she got up on the stage and said, "I'm not ashamed, and you shouldn't be ashamed either, because of people like me." And uh, I think that was the highlight. It was uh, it was really encouraging for everyone who was there. And, you know, in this day and age when you've got this polarising in society and you've got those who have become uh, almost enemies of the Christian faith, uh, there's going to be lots more testimonies like that, I suspect, in the times to come when people have a revelation of God, uh, an understanding, even an encounter with the divine that is going to change a lot of hearts and minds. I suspect that's something we ought to expect to see more of, Martin. Oh, absolutely. And I think in that expectation, we ought to be bold uh, about what we believe and what we say, because these things do happen. I mean, there's another couple of people who speak this weekend in Perth, a very similar kind of story. Um, And uh, I think that Paul phrased it that way, where he said, I'm not ashamed. He didn't say I'm proud. He didn't say I glory in this. He said, I'm not ashamed because he knew what his listeners were thinking. They were tempted to be ashamed because of the pressure that was on them. And I think those words come to us today in the same way. I think there'll be a lot of listeners who are heartened by the fact that your conference in Victoria was sold out. In fact, well in advance. Uh, It indicates that people are very serious 
about becoming informed and taking action in this day when things are uh, such uh, stresses are coming upon the freedoms that we have. Uh, I think there's something like 300 registered in Perth. Is there still room for a few uh, Perth WA listeners to be part of this weekend's conference? You know what, Neil? I haven't even checked. I don't know. I think I think Perth is sold out, uh, and uh, I can't confirm that right now. But um, I think it is sold out. But look, everyone should just go to afield.org.au and have a look uh, if they're interested. Um, I would say this: Brisbane was sold out, but we've upgraded the venue, so um, people can. You know, if anyone's listening in the Queensland area, uh, those who thought that Brisbane was full, you can actually get a seat now because we've doubled the size of the venue. In fact. Okay, well, acl.org.au, where you'll be able to find out uh, if you can still get a ticket uh, to be a part of these conferences that are coming up because they are very important. And uh, as you heard Martin say, uh, some incredible guest speakers who'll be addressing those conferences. And Martin, let's come to some of the issues. Here we are. It's the 22nd of July. And this is a date that's been touted as one of those being very important with the likelihood of the possibility of of legislation around religious freedom this week in the Parliament. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think there's going to be some delays there, but uh, what's the latest that you understand about religious freedom legislation? Well, the legislation itself is still being developed, and uh, I'm a little more optimistic than I was maybe even a week ago. Um, there was a rising sense of despondency, I think, amongst most of the uh, Christian groups that, that I talked to because a lot of negative signs started coming from the Attorney General's office, the Prime Minister's office, public comments weren't looking good. You know, they were saying effectively um, what we're going to do is copy and paste sort of the Race Discrimination Act or the Disability Discrimination Act and just make it the Religion Discrimination Act and change it to religion. Now, uh, I mean, look, without going into detail, that really wouldn't achieve anything. In fact, it might not even be constructive at all. It would probably change the law a tiny bit only in two states, New South Wales and South Australia, um, and uh, wouldn't wouldn't award us much at all. It might not even protect even the Israel Folau kind of thing. Um, so we were all very concerned that suddenly it all the, 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 sort of they'd turn on a cold shower and we're hosing the whole thing down. Uh, but um, look, we've done a few things since then. I mean, we had an article in the Australian the other day saying, look, we'll we'll campaign against the government uh, if that's what we've got to do because they've raised a massive expectation. The swing in uh, the most religious seats in Australia was more than double uh, the swing on the national average towards the coalition. So they definitely created an expectation that they would protect people of faith and that they would protect religious freedom. Made that point, also uh, got into the West Australian, which is Christian Porter, the Attorney General's local newspaper, and said some things there. And lo and behold, uh, he rang us up, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and we've been talking. And um, as a result of some of that sort of battling of the chain, uh, things are very, very constructive now. And I have to say I'm really pleased uh, with the conversations we've been able to have with the Attorney-General. And I'm also getting information from others who have spoken to him to say that the kinds of things that are now being suggested uh, to go into this law are much more uh, constructive uh, and much more helpful. So things that would protect people in the workplace, like Israel Folau, are things that might protect uh, religious institutions from discrimination. So uh, if an institution itself was to suffer detriment because of its the beliefs it holds, and that's included. Um, and also even things in there that might protect Christian schools and churches in their ability to hire staff that share their faith. So all that kind of stuff is now well and truly on the table and even more. So uh, that's a really good thing. 
And, of course, the idea of a threatened backlash does get the attention of leaders. So uh, you've said, hey, we'll campaign against the government if they don't get the religious uh, legislation right. I note, too, on the other side, the LGBT people, they're also uh, threatening a backlash uh, if they don't get the legislation right, and there's going to be some tensions there, no doubt. Uh, What do you know, Martin, of uh, the idea of what's so-called omnibus bill uh, which has been suggested is likely to be separate from uh, any sort of religious freedom legislation but uh, to address some of the recommendations from Philip Ruddock's Religious Freedom Review. Are you familiar with uh, what might be coming with that idea? Uh, Yes so effectively this means that they're not going to pass a law that's called a religious freedom law what they're going to do is pass a whole lot of amendments to existing laws uh, to try and straighten out some of the concerns that people have raised. Now, that's, that's a reasonable start. Um, the problem is that some of those things they're trying to straighten out are probably going to make it worse. For example, uh, you know, they, they, they want to make a religious freedom commission. Now, everybody who knows the Human Rights Commission knows that that's possibly not a good idea to give religious freedom into the hands of the Human Rights Commission because I don't think it'll be religious freedom for long. It'll morph into something else. Uh, but, you know, there's a few issues in that. But it basically means there's a whole, uh, a whole range of amendments to different laws all throughout the country uh, to try and improve on some of the concerns that have been raised. Now, now, we want to make sure that more laws are fixed. So, for example, they haven't said that they'll fix the law that, 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 uh, in, that uh, limits free speech in Tasmania. You know, Archbishop Porteous, who wrote that pastoral letter on same-sex marriage, found himself at the Anti-Discrimination Tribunal. They haven't suggested to fix that one, for example. So... We've got to raise that issue with them. I have to say this. I think long term, we do want a religious freedom law. We actually want it written down. Uh, This business where we'll get a discrimination act and a whole bunch of other fixes, a fix to the Charities Act, a fix to this act and that act. uh, That's that's reasonable as a start if, if we can lobby well and get some good inclusion. But it's not the end. Uh, We are looking for something more robust. We're looking for a law that says, do you know what? The expression of religion, the expression of your faith is a right in Australia. Uh, I think that's going to be a longer term project. So we'll call this phase one. Uh, and then we've got three years coming into the next election to continue to raise the cause of freedom to get phase two. Okay, let's talk about the parallel debate that's going along with religious freedom legislation. And that is, of course, the story of Israel Falau. Now, we know that when he put up that post, he was quoting directly from the Bible. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Just a couple of verses and uh, word for word, really, in the post that he made. But Israel Folau is now being uh, criticised by his opponents, uh, suggesting that uh, he's got all sorts of things wrong here. And, uh, you know, that he's focusing on the Old Testament and not the New, and that Somehow, rather, uh, his uh, home church, uh, led by his father, is some form of cult, uh, sect. Uh, People are trying to put him into a box uh, that's separate from mainstream Christianity. Uh, What are your thoughts for those sorts of developments and those sorts of thoughts that people might be having, Martin? Well, I think people need to be really astute and wise as to what's going on. I mean, Neil, you you nailed it there where you said they're trying to put him into a box that is separate from mainstream Christianity. There's a reason for that. There's a legal reason for that. 
So we saw articles, for example, saying that he misquoted the Bible. That was the first thing, saying, look, if you read Galatians, you'll find that it doesn't say that. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's because he quoted 1 Corinthians 6. Yes. Uh, but that was, in the, that was in the Sydney Morning Herald, I believe. And then uh, this next round of articles came out saying that, you know, it's a cult um, with completely unreferenced, completely unsourced uh, statements about the beliefs that, that he apparently has. Um, and uh, um, sadly, a lot of Christians just lit onto it as if it was true. Now, I happen to know the journalists who wrote that are hostile. I happen to know the person who briefed them is someone with an axe to grind against Israel's family. And I happen to know that those statements didn't come from Israel. Uh, and uh, it's a much more complicated situation than that. So we have to be careful not to buy into this. Uh, and firstly, uh, uh, as, as his supporters divide against him, uh, and secondly, uh, accept this narrative that uh, he's not a Christian. And the reason that narrative is out there is because it helps the legal case to say this is not a mainstream religious belief. Uh, and actually, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 is a mainstream Christian belief. It happens to be straight out of the Bible, which underpins the faith of millions of Australians. But it's important that we note this as well. There's no doubt that Israel's Theology is not perfect. I mean, none of us have a perfect theology. We, we, we disagree. We divide on different things. Um, uh, but if we don't continue to support him, then we're hypocrites because we're sitting here saying to the world, we know that you disagree with Israel Folau. We know that you find what Israel Folau has said to be unfortunate. But we're sitting here saying that you should support freedom of religion and freedom of speech to support those with whom you disagree in their right to express their beliefs because that's actually good to have different beliefs in society, to have society arguing about what's better and what's worse. It improves us. Uh, and so we need to follow through on that as well. And we need to say, here's a guy, and let's pretend he has not perfect theology. Let's pretend he has a couple of beliefs that, uh, that are not mainstream Christian beliefs. Well, does that mean that we all walk away from him and be hypocrites and say, well, all of a sudden we don't, we don't support the principle anymore? No, of course it doesn't. Um, so uh, we need to be careful and wise on this. Um, understand that what's been said contains errors, what's been said in the public square, and it's got an agenda, uh, but also understand uh, that we're supporting a principle as much as we are supporting a man. Uh, caution there not to allow the media rough and tumble in the commentary to affect the way that you think of him because they're trying to discredit him in a significant way. And, of course, for those listeners wondering what the Bible does teach around the issues being discussed, of course, that verse, once again, if you wanted to write that down, is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And uh, if you're wondering if that's just an isolated incident, uh, I could point people to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and also the extensive thoughts that you might discover in Romans chapter 1 around some of these sorts of issues. Uh, let's uh, quickly move on. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts just for a moment on a completely different issue, and that is another controversy that's arisen around national security because foreign fighters trying to return to Australia. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the debate that's beginning to really uh, catch a hold on that particular issue, Martin? Well, that's, uh, this is a bill that's going into the Senate um, any time, and there's a, a division over it. The government wants to put it through as is, but Labor are saying, no, nope, we want some amendments, and the crossbench is divided. So nobody knows whether it will actually get through. And it's a bill that says uh, if somebody uh, has, affiliate, has links with terrorist organisations, they, the government can pass an exclusion order that says they're not allowed back in the country for a period of two years. 
Um, and, you know, at first face value, I look at that and think to myself, well, well who would be against that? I mean, uh, if it's a national security thing, if they're overseas, they've got links to terrorist organizations, to have Peter Dutton say, look, I'm sorry, we're going to have to exclude you for two years because our national security matters and we have concerns about you because of your links. Well, well fine, good. Um, but, of course, um, there are, you know, divisions within Labor, divisions on the crossbench, and I understand them. They effectively are saying, look, uh, there was a recommendation by a parliamentary committee uh, that effectively the, the minister has to actually uh, know that making that order would substantially assist in preventing the provision of support for or the facilitation of a terrorist act. So basically that would mean he has to know of a particular terrorist act that this person is connected with. Not just that they're connected with extremism, not just that they're connected with um, a terrorist organisation, but actually that him preventing them is going to save us from a particular terrorist incident. That makes it much, much more difficult for the Minister, for Peter Dutton, to make these orders. It makes it much less likely that he will be able to make them because the level of specific intelligence you need on someone will be so high. He wouldn't just be able to take the intel that this person's dangerous. Therefore, we need to hold them at bay for two years. Now, I, I look, uh, I think that um, those extra limits personally are necessary. Uh, it's a question of trust. Do you trust Peter Dutton to make the right call? And also, um, it's an understanding of human nature. Um, you know, do we believe that, that people with these evil ideas are capable of doing great harm? Uh, or do we think that if we just change their environment, they're going to suddenly turn good. Uh, and I think that there are some people who think that these people will just turn good if you change their environment because they don't believe that the heart is where the evil comes from. Uh, and so I think we can underestimate uh, the human capacity for evil. We can underestimate the human capacity for doing bad things. Uh, and I don't think that we should. And I think that Christians know more than anything that that which is wicked is in the heart and it requires divine intervention to change it. And interesting development where on the weekend News Corp was reporting that up to 40 Australians who joined extremist fighting groups in Syria had actually returned home. So it gets a little more complex when you think that maybe we're talking about keeping those at bay who might have been in Syria, but then there may already be some who have returned home. That does complicate things, doesn't it, Martin? Uh, look, it does, but it also shows the need for this kind of legislation where the minister can, you know, just point point at somebody and say, listen, uh, we need to do something about that person and that person and that person. I mean, this is two years. It's not even permanent. So uh, I think it raises the need uh, because I think everybody's alarmed to hear that, that there's 40 people here who have been connected with foreign fighting and terrorist organisations. I mean, it's terrible for national security and it, it, it overstretches our resources. You can imagine the monitoring that needs to go on for these people, the way they have to be watched, the intelligence services, all that kind of thing. It's a huge enterprise to keep people safe and this only helps. Martin Isles, always so good getting your insights, a Christian dimension to the sorts of issues that are developing in Australian society and uh, just uh, come back to the fact that you've got a significant Western Australian state conference coming up this weekend in Perth. Uh, you were a little unsure whether there might be a seat or two still available. There are, there are. okay. <laughs> okay, there are seats still available for uh, West Australian listeners. Uh, you can be a part of that and uh, as these conferences are being sold out around the country, uh, your opportunity to be a part of it. I'll point you to acl.org.au. That's the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Martin Isles, invaluable insights. Thanks so much for joining us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure.
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.